This episode of the High Performance Leadership Podcast is brought to you by our email list. Sign up today and get a free PDF on how to be a good listener. Just go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email in the form on the bottom left. Again, that's hpleadershippodcast.com. Subscribers can expect exclusive content not available to casual listeners. Sign up today and become a better leader. hpleadershippodcast.com. On episode 19 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, part three with Dr. Chris Meyer. A lot of times we think about negotiation as I want something and how do I get that? And it's really somewhat different than that. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Chris Meyer is back in the studio again. He's a professor of management at Baylor University. Today, we're talking about negotiation. What are the most important traits for a good negotiator to have? What are the three different types of negotiators? We'll answer those questions and more in today's podcast. If you haven't heard Chris's other two podcasts, I highly recommend going back to episodes one and eight to check them out. And now our talk with Chris. Chris, it is absolutely great to have you back in the studio again. I mean, you're you're becoming a regular guest, which is wonderful, and we, we love it. One of the benefits of living where we do is we're close to Baylor University, and so with you being a professor at the university and, and also having a relationship with us, it's nice to be able, especially over the summer when you got a, maybe a little bit more downtime to get you, drag you back into the studio and pick your brain some more. So we, again, appreciate your time and investment. I'm being on this podcast. Glad to be here, Chip. Thanks for having me again. You bet. Now, for those that have maybe haven't heard the first couple of podcasts we've done together, if you want to quickly tell us, what do you do at Baylor again? What's your specialty in a sense? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I teach in the MBA programs. I teach both on-campus and off-campus programs for the uh, MBA programs, and I specialize in the area of negotiation. So I thought today we could talk a little bit about that. We've talked in the past about uh, some different organizational behavior aspects of what I do. I'm trained in organizational behavior and negotiation. And really where I spend my time doing my research and teaching is in negotiation. So you're right. I've had a little bit more downtime this summer. I've been doing more research in negotiation. So that's really what's on my mind today, and I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. Well, that's great, because that's one thing that, from a leadership standpoint, you know, we get that question that comes up quite a bit, you know, how do I motivate people to to do what we need them to do, and the difference between managing and leading, and how does that look? And then also, you know, people that are in leadership responsibilities, a lot of times they're in sales, they're owners of companies, they're, you know, negotiating contracts with employees and all kinds of different stuff. So it's a skill that definitely is needed at all aspects, but leadership especially needs to focus on that. So if I was to ask or start by asking the generic question of how would you define negotiation just in terms of a, a broad spectrum, what would that look like? Right. Negotiation is a is a term that's thrown about and I think thrown about somewhat carelessly sometimes. And a lot of times we think about negotiation as I want something and how do I get that? 
And it's really somewhat different than that. Negotiation is, it's been called a core competency for managers. It's been called a core competency for leadership. It's something that's really important to people that are doing both management and leadership. And for those that have been following the podcast, there's been some discussion about the difference between those two. And we may get there uh, as we're talking today. But the way that I define negotiation, and I I define it very early in my class, uh, it's every human interaction. When we come together and when we're working with others, there's often a time when we have to do some give and take, and that give and take, that's a negotiation. Whatever it might be, whether it's deciding where to go to dinner with friends, whether it's deciding about how the raises get apportioned in a large corporate setting, or if it's talking about how do we move forward as a small startup business? How do we get things done inside the organization so that we can impact externally All of those are negotiations, and they're very different types of negotiations. But I think that human interaction where people come together for gain, that's a negotiation. So for people that think of negotiation as a negative, meaning when you say the word negotiation, they instantly think, okay, here we go. It's time for me to put on my boxing gloves because you know it's like buying a used car in a sense. We're going to negotiate this. It's not necessarily a negative term in the way you just described it. If we negotiate every day in every interaction that we have, how do we change the paradigm away from if we're going to negotiate, it's a win-lose to you know, how do we both win in this? This is, this is something that I think about quite a bit, actually. And I have, over the years, changed the way that I approach this in my class. I think it's really important that we understand that there's a lot of positive to this. And people get colored by very early or very bad interactions that they have. So whether that's a used car salesman that sells you your first car when you're 16 or 18 years old or however old people are when they buy their first car, if it's that interaction that colors the feeling about negotiation or if it's some other interaction, interactions with really hard charging bosses, it's hard for people to let go of that. So it really is a changed mindset and it takes a lot of education. And that education can be done in a formal setting with someone like me, or that education can be done by extensive reading, studying the thing and really being aware about the interaction. And I think that something like this podcast is a very positive effect because you think about it differently when you focus on something for a period of time and you're very deliberate about that focus. So if you think about the interactions that you have, and if we're classifying interactions as negotiation, most of those are probably not negative. You know, you have a few that are negative and those stick out to you and you think, oh, that's a bad negotiation, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, they took me for all that I had. That's not what you want to focus on. Focus on all the rest that were very good. And I think we can learn a lot from those very good negotiations as well. So if we were to think about negotiation as a human interaction, we do it from the time we're born basically all the way through. And then we switch from being the child that's trying to negotiate to get something that we want. You know, being a parent, you know, my son's constantly, dad, can I have, can I have, can I have? And it's a negotiation of trying to figure out how to give him what he wants without spoiling him. But then we, you know, it flips and now we're the adult and we're trying to negotiate with the kids to get them to do what we know is best for them without being this, you know, hard ass all the time. So, right. And I think for me, this is, I see this as the reason that I do this. Many people don't ever mature out of that 
childlike, can I have, can I have, can I have type of negotiation. They go into the negotiation, whether it's salary negotiation or negotiation with a supplier, and they just present, this is what I want. My son, who's 10 years old, my son, who's nine years old, both of them, they negotiate that way. And what I want is when I interact with people and I teach them about negotiation, I want them to come out of the other side of it with a much improved outlook. And instead of saying, can I have, or this is what I want, to come into it with a different viewpoint. And the research has shown very recently is the most successful negotiators are the negotiators that do a good job of perspective taking and do a good job with empathy. And those Mm -hmm. are two very important aspects. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit the last time I was in the studio, but that idea of taking the perspective of others. Now imagine if you're your children or my children came and took the perspective of a parent and said, hey, you know what? I want to have ice cream and waffles for dinner, which happens in my house. I don't know if it happens in your house. It happens in my house. (laughs) So, hey, could, could we have all sugar for dinner? And if they took the perspective of the parent, they would think, well, then I'll be all ramped up. I won't go to bed right. And I'll be cranky tomorrow and things will go bad. But they don't take the perspective of the parent. They never now, do. They never do, right? <laughs> no. So now imagine if you are sitting across from the supplier and you take their perspective and they say, and you think, all right, they need to make some money on this product. I know I want to squeeze them for as much as I can because I want to make some money too, but they need to make some money. And if you take that perspective, it changes the interaction. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like if, if I'm trying to convince my wife of some uh, large purchase... I go, well, here's the benefit for you, honey. I'm, I'm looking out. You know, this is what's going to be good for us. Yeah. But doesn't that set off a trigger <laughs> inside of people's minds? And this is where negotiation sometimes falls. And that is, wait a minute. You know, I can see what you're trying to do here. I can see you're trying to manipulate me. You're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to sell all the benefits with none of the downside. You're winning and I'm losing kind of stuff. So it does kind of go back to the last time you were in the studio and we talked a lot about the amygdala and the emotional side of behavior and that that's what motivates action, not necessarily always logic. But when people negotiate, do they tend to lean on logic more than emotion? I think that what people want to say is that they're much more logical when they negotiate. But in reality, that emotion, that emotion is what speaks to the base level interest. The interest defines why you're there. Why am I in the room? That's your interest. And a lot of times we think about an example that I give a lot is you go in to negotiate your raise and you say, well, I'm there for the 10% raise or I'm there for the 5% raise or whatever the, the amount is. But really what you're there for is something more than that because that raise represents some money, but that money doesn't really give you what you want out of the interaction. It may be a means to what you want, And that means might be, well, I want to have a better car, I want to have more financial security, or I want to have the recognition of being the guy that got the big raise this year. Mm -hmm. So there are some other things that that come to play, and that's what the emotion speaks to. The logic speaks to those positions that we take. The logic speaks to, well, 10% makes a lot of sense because the next raise is 8%. So logically, if I want to be at the top, then I want the bigger raise. So that talks to the position. We have to be aware that we need to balance those. We need to be able to say, this is what I really want. And that's the emotional drive. This is one way to get it and be open to other ways. So what are the trade-offs then? 
So let's say, for example, right now, you you wanted me to come help you move this weekend. Okay, so you, it's a lot of hard work and sweat and everything. You want me to come move. Are there, are there steps that you teach in the negotiation process, or is it more of being aware of what's going on and showing empathy and looking at trade-offs? And- the problem that we run into when we think about steps is we're always then looking for that stepwise process that says, first I do this, then I do this. Then you know we move into the part where I try to influence you or manipulate you or whatever it might be. And that's not always the best way to get it done. So what we have to do is we have to really be aware. What I teach is to focus on that interest, focus on why you're there, and then share that with the other party. This is why I'm here. And then they'll be more likely to reciprocate and share back with you. And we talked a little bit about uh, influence before we started recording. And I think that that's really one of the most impactful things that you can do to influence somebody is to provide them. Talk to them about what the benefit is. And if you can talk to them about the benefit and also be completely honest about, I want to benefit in this negotiation. The reason that people don't like negotiation a lot of times is because it feels disingenuous. But if I walk in and say, I'm here because together we can benefit more and we can benefit me more, then I'm more likely to say, oh, you're right. You know, Mm -hmm. Chip, if you and I work together, I'm going to benefit. And that's something that we need to be aware of. And, And if we make the other party aware that we're not trying to pull something over on them, we are trying to benefit. That's a positive. So why is it, and we'll just stick on the used car salesman sure. analogies. Just, I think it's applicable to everybody. Why is it that when we feel like, okay, it's time to go buy a new car or a used car or whatever it might be, a new to us, we go in with apprehension. We're excited about getting a new car, but yet we don't want to deal with a salesperson because we feel like a salesperson is going to manipulate us, sell us something we don't need, provide. They're in it for their own benefit to make the biggest commission they can, and they really don't care about what we want. How do we change that feeling? This is what I have found through years of teaching this and years of research. We go into those situations, and it could be used car. It could be when you call the customer service line. If you've ever called a customer service line to have your cable drop buried or anything like that, you go into that with some apprehension because you're thinking, I need to work with them. I hope that they treat me fairly. And we very often get that apprehensive feeling. What I've found through a lot of research and through a lot of teaching and working with a lot of different executives is the reason that we're apprehensive is because we're not really prepared for it. We go into it, and we might think we have a good idea, but that information asymmetry, one side knows more than the other, and particularly with a used car, um, particularly when we're dealing with customer service, because we don't know the other side of the story. We don't know where did that car come from? How much do they have into it? Was it in an accident? And that's changing. We're getting more and more information. So is knowledge a part of better negotiation, knowing as much as possible? I think as much preparation as possible is one of the biggest things to help you achieve that goal, to help you achieve your interest. You need to know. You need to know everything about your your own side of the preparation, and you need to know as much as possible about the other side as well, and you can get a lot of information. You can talk to others that have dealt with those people in the past. You can go back to 
most of the time when we have dealings, we're dealing with people that we've dealt with in the past. So we have some information. We can talk to their customers that uh, are working with them now. We can talk to their competitors. We can talk to a lot of different people, get a lot of different information, and then we can start to build the story. Okay, so as a leader and as individuals, we all have different personalities. Is there a better type of person that's better at negotiating than others? Because as we all know, there's people that fold quickly under pressure and there's people that never seem to give up. Even when they've lost, they don't give up. Is there a common characteristics of these great negotiators? It's a, that's a great question, Chip. And we have looked at that uh, in a number of different ways uh, in the research community. And there's, there are a couple of different answers. The first answer is everybody comes into it with a default mode. My default mode, which you can't tell on a podcast, is competitive. I'm a very competitive person, so it makes it difficult for me to give concessions. It makes it difficult for me to take your perspective. It makes it difficult for me to have empathy. So I should be a horrible negotiator, uh, which is you know fine because I teach it. I don't have to do it. So um, <laughs> that's right. Thank you. <laughs> After after I after I made that joke, I thought I don't I don't know if that was even funny. Um, <laughs> no, it's tr- trust me, we're all teachers. We know. I know. <laughs> so uh, because I know that I'm competitive, I'm very vigilant about that when I negotiate. And what we found is people people are competitive, or people are avoiders, or people are people are collaborators. And collaborators are the best types of negotiators. So you can train yourself into that collaborative mode. I don't have to be competitive, but if I'm not vigilant. If I'm not aware, if I'm not deliberate about my negotiation, I'll drop back into that competitive mode. So I need to be aware of that. From a personality standpoint, there's not a lot of difference. People can be a number of different uh, personality types and still do very well in the negotiation. You can be an introvert. You can be an extrovert. Um, I'm an introvert. I'm a competitive introvert, so I should be the worst (laughs) negotiator on the planet. Introversion and extroversion, it doesn't really matter that much in, in negotiation. What we do find matters is openness. If you're open to experience, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to ask a lot of questions, you tend to be a better negotiator because I'm more willing to learn what does Chip really want here? What are we really trying to accomplish? And that's a benefit. Well, that ties directly to emotional intelligence. When you think of relationships, people that are more interested in learning about where you're coming from are more apt to come across better than people that don't care where you're coming from. Let me just tell you about myself. So that's what the, what I'm hearing here. So one of the things that we teach at 360 and is persuasion. Persuasion and negotiation are different, correct? Absolutely. And, I, and how would you describe that? I think the difference, although subtle, there is a difference. And the difference that I see is when we're thinking about persuasion, we are focused more on moving the other party in our direction. So if if I'm trying to persuade you, I want you, Chip, to move in my direction. If we're negotiating, then I want you to move with me. And that's the subtle difference. So we're both moving in, in the direction in a negotiation. In a persuasion, it may be just you. So I may walk into the, to the situation and think, this is where we're going as a company. And We've got to change our direction. We're going to change our culture a little bit. Um, We're going to go from a very relaxed culture to a very business formal culture. And the way that we're going to do that is through this thing. And, you know, maybe Chip doesn't want to wear a suit and tie every day. So I'm going to have to persuade you about 
why that's the best thing for you to do. Whereas in negotiation, we would sit down and say, hey, listen, if you can do this for me, then this is what the company can do for you. And we're going to move together in this direction. Persuasion is really important. And it's another very important leadership skill. The nice thing about negotiation is I can use that leadership skill across almost every interaction that I'm going to do in my lifetime. I'm, I don't need to persuade in every interaction. Persuasion, I think, is a little bit more specific when I'm trying to move you in my direction. So are there, as we, as we teach in our persuasion, are there triggers? And what I mean by a trigger, is there things like we're friends. So it's easier to negotiate with somebody who's a friend of mine than it is somebody who I don't know or vice versa. Reciprocity. I, I, I'll negotiate because I'm going to do something for you, but then I expect something different in return for me. Yeah. I, I think all of these, uh, these triggers are very important and they're built into, they're built into who we are as people based on different social structures that we've come through learning. We talked about reciprocity a little bit um, and you mentioned it. Reciprocity is very important from a negotiation standpoint but not necessarily the way everybody thinks about reciprocity. Everybody thinks about reciprocity in a negotiation as I'm going to give you something in the negotiation and you give me something. The way I see it is reciprocity works because I give you some information and I'm going to talk to you first about why I'm here, what my interests are. That's going to open you up to give me that information back too. Why are you really here? What are you really trying to accomplish? And that reciprocity works really well there. Reciprocity is a really powerful trigger to persuade people. So a lot of times when you walk into the interaction and we are not necessarily on the same page, you you might walk into it thinking this is going to be a competitive negotiation. I might walk into it with a different idea. If I sit down and start with that reciprocity, you're going to open up. It works and it works across cultures. It works across nationality. It works across different ethnic uh, differences. It's a very powerful tool to get people to move with you. Very powerful persuasion tactic to use reciprocity. So we show intent, and by showing our intent, by being open, by talking about what it is that we're trying to gain from this interaction, it frees them up to share, and we move in the right direction. Absolutely. And so we actually win more when we're clear with our intent than if we try and hide our intent. Then it comes across a little shady and People have to guess. And I think that once you get into that, when you're covering up and you're not letting anybody in, it becomes very difficult to break through that barrier. It becomes very difficult to make any progress. I have a great story. I was teaching negotiation to one of my executive MBA classes, and there was a very subtle line in the, the case study that we were studying that said, please don't reveal any of this information to the other party. Well, somebody took that very literally and revealed nothing. So it was a big group negotiation, six people. They sat down and one person said, well, can anybody tell me why we're here? And there was nothing. <laughs> no, no comments, no words, no nothing. Because they had all read that, but one person took it very literally and said, no, I'm not saying anything. It shut down the entire negotiation. It shut down the entire process. And they sat there and looked at each other and nobody, everybody refused to give any information and they made zero progress. And it wasn't that tough of a case, <laughs> but just that idea that I'm not going to give you any information, it reinforces that maybe I shouldn't give you any information either. And it becomes impossible then to make any progress. Hmm. Sounds like a little kid mentality. 
Well, <laughs> it is, but it's very human, right? Mm-hmm. If if we walk into the situation and one person shuts down, one person says, we're not going to do this, then other people start to think, well, maybe I shouldn't give any information either. If they're not going to give any information, and it comes back to reciprocity. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Nobody's going to do it. And then we make no progress. And I see that a lot in executives that I work with that get into a situation and it's self-perpetuating where we're in a situation and you're not giving any, so I'm not going to give any. If you look tough, then I have to look tough. And I'm not going to be the weak link that gives in and says, you know what, this is what I'm here to accomplish. So how would you define trust then in the negotiation process? Because it, a lot of what you're talking about parallels very close to the last guest that we had or two guests ago, Richard, who talked about trust and is trust given or is trust earned? And, you know, can you build up a lot of trust and then lose it instantly with a bad decision? And how does that tie to negotiation? Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, listening to Richard. And, and for those of you listening now that haven't, go back and listen to Richard. It was a really good podcast. I think I agree with him that trust is something that's given. Uh, it's not something that's earned. We, uh, what can you do to earn that? I don't think that we have the length of relationship. A lot of times when we do give trust, we don't have, we haven't had that length of a relationship to build it up. We haven't earned it. It's been given to us. And what we know from research is we give it pretty quickly. We, we are quick to give trust until somebody shows us something that tells us maybe we should pull it back. Maybe we should be more reserved. Can you lose it quickly was your other question. And that's a little bit more of a gray area for me. I don't know that we can completely lose it quickly, but what I can do is I can start to question it a little bit more. There's a little bit of a nuance between trust and suspicion. So maybe I still have some, some trust in you, but I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious about your motive or I'm suspicious about what's going to happen. And there's a difference there. And, and suspicion causes us to be more vigilant about what's going on. What are you doing? What are you providing to me? Is there really some value here? So I could still have some trust, but be suspicious. Mm-hmm. We'll have more with Chris on a future podcast. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is also sponsored by Principles of High Performance Leadership, the book by Chip Wilson. The first 100 people to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast get the book for free. That's right, free book. Go to 360solutions.com for more information. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.